0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. But you can turn in your copy of God's Word now to Exodus 15. Exodus 15 verse 1 is where we'll start as we continue in our series, God of Glory, going through the book of Exodus, and it's been a a great and glorious journey through these initial chapters of this book, and we will continue on uh, in the uh, next few weeks through these uh, next few chapters, and as you're turning in your Bible there to Exodus 15, I just want to ask a question this morning, what's your favorite worship song? Some of you are like, it's too early for me to think of this. And others of you, it's like on the tip of your tongue. But what is it? What's your favorite worship song? Tell me. You won't hurt our our feelings if we don't sing it here. But do you have a favorite? Is there one that stands out? Maybe it's an oldie but a goodie. And one of those hymns that have stood the test of time. Is it a new one? One that was uh, recently released? Is there a favorite? Do you have a favorite? Let me ask this. Why is it your favorite? Is it your favorite because of the content, the lyrics, the words, and the song? Or is it because of the melody? It has a catchy tune, right? Or is it your favorite because of how it makes you feel? Maybe it ministered to you at a significant time in your life. And it is one of those things that it was an anchor point in a tumultuous time in your life. And it put words to your feelings. And now as you hear that song, it reminds you of what God did in those days do you have a favorite worship song maybe not some of you are like we love them all right we just love to worship i don't know but in our journey through exodus there's been many significant moments haven't there in our journey through the israelites formation of a nation as they were released from the bondage we've seen these significant moments of the baby Mo- moses being spared in the river we saw God make himself known in a burning bush. We've seen uh, the great and grievous judgments of God unleashed on the prideful sinfulness of the Egyptians. And we've seen God's great and glorious mercy at the Passover. And then last week, the uh, phenomenal Red Sea rescue. Some significant moments. Amen? God clearly at work, and these were significant moments not only for Moses and the Israelites experiencing them, but all humanity since then, these have been significant for us. Even as we've looked back and we've seen the personality and power and promises of God. And see, after the Red Sea, there was one song that rose to the top of the Israelite music charts. There was one that was, a, uh, was an instant hit, one that everybody was singing and everybody was sharing, even before social media days. It had a catchy line, and it captured the heart of all who sang it. Why? Because it was born out of tragedy. It was born out of trial, out of the miracles and mercy of God. And it's the song of glorious praise found in Exodus 15. 1 through 21. Here as Moses and the Israelites begin to sing it out, it is on the heels of Egypt being decimated, for God had won, and now Moses and the Israelites sing out in worship. And so look with me at your Bible there in Exodus 15, and I'm going to read the lyrics of the song for you now. I'm not going to sing it, mind you. Because one, I'm a terrible singer, and two, it's meant to be sung in Hebrew, and I'm even worse at singing in Hebrew. And so I'm just going to read the lyrics here, but follow along in your Bibles in Exodus 15, verse 1, and they say this, "'Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, "'I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. "'The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. "'The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation.' This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is God's word for God's people. Amen? Amen. Isn't this a great song? I would love for us. Maybe we need to find somebody to put this to melody so that we can sing it. But as we read through this song, and as we understand the the nature and the events that have happened uh, here amongst the Israelites and all that has gone before, it leads us to say this main point of the song and of the text, and it is this, the work of God sparks our worship of God. If you're taking notes, this is the main point of what we're talking about today. The work of God sparks our worship of God. To say it a different way, it would be that his activity sparks our adoration. That when we understand what God is doing, it leads us to sing out to him. As we understand God's work all around us, then we worship and we believe that God is always working, don't we? We believe it. he is not dead, he is not uh, silent, he is not absent, but God is at work. Even today, he is always working for his uh, own good and his glory, and our good, even now. And see, we as believers, we understand that even particularly in the worst of times, God is at work. For it is here that we see it most clearly, when all the world is in chaos and everything is going uh, not according to our human plans. We see the work and activity of God more clearly, I would say. But here's the problem. Here's the problem for us, even as we understand that God is at work, we have an enemy who wants to distort and distract and deceive us about what God is doing so that we can't see it. He is working overtime to blind us, to make us doubt that God is indeed at work. And not only our enemy, but our sin within us does the same, distorting the good things that God is doing, distracting us from the, the, the work of the Lord and deceiving us into thinking that He is indeed not moving and in times like that in days like today we're inundated we're overwhelmed so we feel flooded we wonder where is god but it is seasons like we find ourselves in even today issue after issue of 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 problem after problem while we are watching the moral foundations of our society erode around us like the Israelites of long ago, we today as Christ followers find ourselves feeling like exiles, wandering in a wilderness. It's even in the midst of this that we look to the Lord. We listen to His word, and when we do that, when we look to the Lord and we keep His word before us, what do we find in the midst of everything? Well, we find, like David says in Psalm 86, we find that there is none like You. O Lord, among the gods, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. This is what we find as we look to the Lord. This is what we find as we listen to his word, and what we find here, it sparks our worship. So that when like, the Israelites, they stopped then to take stock of all that had happened, of what God had just done uh, at the Red Sea and prior, and they started singing. They started singing to the Lord before they took another step along the journey. And they started singing. Why? Because they had been delivered. See, the work of God sparks our worship of God. And so here's the first point. We sing because we've been delivered. This is, this is why, we, why we sing. We sing because we've been delivered. Look at verse 1 here in the direction of the songs in which Moses and the people of Israel are singing. They're not singing to themselves. They're not singing to one another. They sang this song to the Lord. All credit goes to the Lord. He is the one that has triumphed gloriously. By what? By throwing the horse and his rider or driver into the sea. And this was personal to them. They were singing out to the Lord. It was personal. They're not just singing about an abstract event. They're not just singing about something that had happened to others or in history. No, look at verse 2 and look at the personal pronouns here. The Lord is, what does it say? My strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will him. my father's God, and I will exalt him. And this is so key for us, church. You may want to even underline that. Why is this important here? Because it's personal to them. And why it's personal here is because it's the difference between just faith and facts. These little words, these personal pronouns here, is the difference between faith and facts. When their worship becomes real, full of faith, where they're singing in their testimony becomes actual worship and not just singing another song. See, there is an eternal difference wrapped up in this word, my. It is the difference between worship and it is the difference in the gospel. See, there is a big difference between the facts of, uh, as we think about the gospel in our day, of Jesus is Savior and Lord. Amen? A true statement, Correct. But there is an eternal difference between saying this and acknowledging that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And on the other hand, a faith-filled difference of saying, no, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. That not only did Christ die for the sins of the world, he died for my sin. He is my Lord, my Master, whom I follow. And this is, this is an eternal difference. This is a gospel difference. This is the difference of making it our own or just singing about something that has happened in history. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what gives passion to our singing. This is what makes it the turn from just opening our mouth and singing into singing a worship song. And so we say, like the point says, we sing because we've been delivered. Because Jesus stood in my place. On the cross, because Christ set me free from my sin. He's been delivered, or we've been delivered by Christ, amen? Amen, it's a personal thing. And so the songs that we sing, and the songs that we sing together, like Moses and the Israelites, are personal to us who've been saved. These aren't just lyrics on the screen, but no, we are singing personally, because the Lord has triumphed gloriously over our sin. He has triumphed over us, and we want to thank him, right? I know how glorious it is, how soul-satisfying it is to be in a room with others who also have been delivered, hearing them sing out, hearing the instruments play, joyously pouring out, knowing that we are in this together, that we have been delivered from the enemy of sin. And as we sing, and though this is personal, As we are here and we uh, look around the room and we see the people sitting next to us, though we may be different in every way, coming from a variety of backgrounds, working in a variety of fields, we have one thing that we share in common, an exodus from sin and a deliverance into Christ's family. And so we sing. And so we sing out to him gloriously. We sing out to him because we've been delivered. But here, that's why we sing. Here's what we sing. As the song continues on, we sing to God about God. This is where verse four takes us. We sing to God about God. As I was reading the lyrics here, verses four to 10 really are a poetic recounting of the Red Sea rescue, aren't they? It's like, this sounds familiar. We just read the, you know, we read the narrative. We read the story last week. And yet here in these few verses, we get a picturesque scene. Graphic examples of the work of God, we get uh, the God personified and his activity uh, therein. And so look at it, look at how it describes God, look how it describes the events as Pharaoh's chariots in verse 4, his host, it is personifying God's activity as he is the one who cast them into the sea, he is the one who sunk them, he is the one as the flood covered them and they went down the depths like stone. That's a pretty graphic image, right? as they are falling, going down to the storm. And look at in verse 6 here, the strength of God being personified, how he is, his right hand is glorious in power. He shatters the enemy because of his great strength. He is great in majesty to overthrow the adversaries. He is fiery, it consumes them like stubble. Look at in verse 8 here how, it's, how, how easy all of this was for God. As we think of the Red Sea and how uh, glorious and majestic it was to be in the water and to have it come up like a wall around them, surrounding them as it sees the flood stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea, something great and and impossible for us. And yet in verse 8, it is described as something as subconscious and easy as the breathing out of your nose. The blast of God's nostrils, the waters receded. You know, just think, like, how easy it is to just blow out through your nose. There's something we do regularly all day. As easy as that is for us, it's as easy as it was for God to to throw back the waters to rescue and deliver his people. And so they sing out. They sing out the, the intentions of the enemy are described in verses 9 and and then in verse 10, again, God, he just blew and the sea covered them. And now, not only did they sink like stone, it says they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Why? Why this recounting? It is because our worship is about singing to God, about God. We tell him, we, we, we sing to him about the work of God, the character of God. See, it's not so much of singing about how great we are. Or all the great things that we are going to promise to do for God. No, we sing to God about how great he is. And this is what he loves for us to recount and what he loves for us to recall. And we sing to God as if he's present. We sing to God as if he's here with us, not absent, because we know that he is. It would be offensive to talk about somebody who's standing right next to you in the third person as if they are not in the room. But instead, in our songs, we sing to God. You notice the lyrics of the songs that we choose. And as you uh, pick favorite songs, and as you choose to worship, we sing to the Lord, knowing that he is present with us and worshiping because he did it. So we sing to the Lord about the salvation that he won to us, won for us, and the ongoing work that he is doing even here and now. We rejoice in this. We lift our voice for how he provides. Telling the Lord, thank you. Telling the Lord, thank you for how he protects us, for how he delivers us from evil. We we praise the Lord and thank him and lift our voice because he gives our life purpose, because he is at work and he keeps his promises to us. See, redemption, we must be consumed with this in our singing. We must be consumed, especially in these days, as we sing out to the Lord and singing to him because he is at work. See, God's work, his activity is the mission, the great commission. We know that this is what God is about. He is at work to, to, to deliver, to buy a people, to uh, to bring and call a people to himself. And he invites us into the great commission, and it's the great commission that drives us. And we can know, even in these days, that his work hasn't slowed down one That even in these days, God is still at work and he hasn't furloughed any of his workers. None of us have been laid off. As a matter of fact, even in these days, the work has gotten more exciting, more available, more right there in front of us as we have opportunity after opportunity to tell of the work that God has done to deliver us and to give us hope and purpose in this life. We have a mission and so when somebody asks you, what is, what's your church like? Why, 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 are you, why, why are you processing this all differently? What, what's redemption all about? As you should say more than, you know, as they're probably asking about uh, worship styles or what the preaching is like or the denomination that, you're, that the church is a part of. You should just tell them this is a place where God is at work. This is a place where we are seeing the lost saved. The saved matured and the mature multiplied all to the glory of God. That this is a place where God is at work, and because he's at work, we worship. We're a worshiping church because God is at work here and among us, and we want to give him the praise that is due to his name. Amen? Amen. And so we worship him, and we worship him alone. See, there is none like our God, and so the song continues, and it instructs us this way. We sing to God exclusively. We sing to God exclusively. The more we understand about God's character and his activity, the more we rehearse it in our songs as we sing about the work and activity of God, it leads us to say like it says in verse 11 here, who is like you, O Lord, who is like you among the gods, who is majestic like you? As we examine all the things in in the earth, as we examine what is happening, and we examine other religions, and we examine what is happening in people's lives, we come to realize that there is none like our God. Let's see if that helps. Maybe not. Thanks for bearing with me. But as we examine every other religion, like it says in verse 10, as we examine every other deity, we come to realize that the God of the Bible is unique. We come to see that there is indeed none like him doing glorious things as we weigh the deeds of every other being. As we look and see how uh, the works of the hands and the results of what has happened, there is none like the God of the Bible. He is more glorious As we, like in verse 13, as we compare the heights and depths and lengths of love of any human, of any supposed deity, of every other religion, we realize that the steadfast love of the Lord is sacrificial beyond anybody else. That he is indeed the definition of love. As we witness the trembling of the nations... As we witness the trembling of the enemies of God, like described in verses 14, 15, and 16, we realize that the God of the Bible, his wrath is more terrifying than any other. See, these verses here in 14, 15, and 16 are an interesting thing to sing about because of understanding the complete annihilation of Egypt, how this worldwide superpower of a nation of that day has now been from top to bottom wiped out Do you think as the people of Israel then moved into the promised land and describing these nations of Philistia and Edom and Canaan, those nations that they would go into, do you think they heard the reputation of the God of the Israelites that went before them? You bet. And do you think they wanted to be annihilated like Egypt? They did not. And so they trembled. They froze as the people of Israel made their way through to the promised land. There is none like this God. There is none as great in love and great of sacrifice and great of wrath and fury. There is none more loyal than the God of the Bible. And so this is why we say we sing to him exclusively because there is none like him. And so when I say that we sing to God exclusively, am I implying that you can't sing when your favorite country song comes on the radio? Yes, as a matter of fact. Only out of personal disdain for country music and not out of any sort of biblical conviction. So you can sing when your country song comes on. I'm not saying that. Am I saying that you should only listen to Christian music? Not necessarily. Unless it is uh, secular music or a certain type of music has been a source that has caused you uh, sin in your life, then yes, you may need to cut that out. But what I am saying, though, is that God alone gets our worship. That God alone gets our most intense thinking. That God alone gets our most passionate expressions. God alone gets our most energetic activities. He alone gets uh, the best and the deepest in and, and, and all of us. Have you ever stopped to consider why singing is the most common expression of worship? You know, that when, when somebody asks, like, worship, we typically mean singing or music, don't we? Now, we had a whole sermon series called Authentic Worship a year ago and several podcasts on uh, saying why that is not the only expression, even though it is the most common expression of worship. But have you thought, why singing is a way that we worship? Why, when we lift our voice in melody and rhythm and in common lyric, we call this worship? It's because it, it, it involves our mind and our heart and our body as we sing out to Him. That as we think deeply about the words that we're singing, those words matter and how, we, how they are leading us to feel and to act. See, worship is a whole being activity. It is not, it is not simply something that we're just reciting or, or, or thinking in our mind, but it is as we are reading these words, these true words about God, and as we are singing out to him, we can't help but lift our voice and express ourselves to him as those who've been redeemed, as verse 13, as those who've been purchased Verse 16 says, out of bondage. The great picture of God leading us out and buying us as his people that we would worship him, the God who has rescued us, and him alone, him exclusively. See, there is no room to share our worship with other idols, with other deities, with other religions, with other arts. As a matter of fact, in, the, in Exodus, we've seen what has happened to all other idols We've seen how powerless and weak they are, how God has decimated them in his judgments, And so we sing to God. We sing to him about him. We sing to him exclusively as we think backward on what he has done. But lest we think our worship and our singing is only uh, backward looking into the past, so too we look forward as well and we sing to God expectantly. Here's our next point. We sing to God expectantly as it leads us in verses 17 and 18. As this song is coming to a close, these last verses here, Moses and the Israelites continue in their lyrics to what God will do. His future work to bring them to this mountain that he has promised to them. Into this land, into the heart of Israel, this mountain in Jerusalem. And so they are looking forward to it. See, now as they're singing this song, they are just by the Red Sea, on the east edge of the Red Sea, and they are miles from the Promised Land. As a matter of fact, they don't know this yet, but we know it now, looking back, that it'll be another 40 years before they arrive. And it'll be longer still before the tabernacle or the tent of meeting is set there in Jerusalem on that mountain. And it'll be even generations after that before Solomon builds the temple there on the mountain. And here's the thing, even today we are still waiting for King Jesus to return and reign there as our messianic. See, there is an expectant, a hopeful expectation in our worship, in, us, in our singing about his future saving work on our behalf and his future return. As we who love the Lord, as we await that trumpet blast, as we await the voice of the archangel that will come with a loud shout. And so our singing is expectant, expectant for what God will do and as he's promised to do in future days. But while there is a future and we long for this future, there are present expectations that we come to in worship as well. See, as we come and we gather, as we sing as God's people and worship, particularly on a Sunday, we have a hopeful expectation of transformation here and now. That God will be present and active and working among us. See, there should be an anticipation as we come to the Lord's day, an anticipation that isn't just what uh, comes upon us on a Sunday morning when we wake up, but even on Saturday night and throughout the week, that, that we are anticipating coming to being with God's people of gathering, not simply because we're going to meet with God's people, but because we get to meet with God. That he is here and active among us. And that you have an appointment with Holy God every Lord's Day morning. An appointment that he has promised to show up when you sing to him about him. When you open up your word and let him speak to us. As we pray to him and as we give, he has promised to show up. So you'd get a new doctor real quick if you were making appointments and he just failed to show up. Then he scheduled another appointment the following week and he didn't show up again. You would get a new doctor. But here, God always always shows up when people gather, when their Bibles are open, when we're singing and praying and giving, as we are living on mission, as we are speaking the gospel to one another, as we are living out these one another's. This is where God has promised to be at work. And where God is at work, that's where I want to be, don't you? Where God is at work, that's where I want to be giving him the praise that is due to him. And then the cherry on top is that we get to do it with people that we love or people that we are growing to love, people that love us. So we come and we worship expectantly for what God will do. The good news is that worship isn't just confined to a 75-minute gathering on a Sunday, is it? It's not confined here. It spills into the week as we live life together. And here's the final point, as we sing to God continuously, as we sing to God continuously. See, verse 19, this last is kind of a break in the lyrics. The song is over, but it's a, it's a summary. It's a reminder of what God did in the Red Sea. It's all of chapter 14, really in a nutshell, that the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots, his horsemen, they went into the sea. The Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. That's like the 22nd version of the testimony of God's deliverance in the Red Sea Rescue. And so it's just this reminder here because they're so forgetful. They, like we, need constant reminders of the work of God, don't we? We need these, these constant reminders of the gospel, this good news. We need to constantly be putting our priorities in front of us or others will set our priorities. We need to constantly be putting the truth before us of what God has done or otherwise someone else will set the truth in front of us. We want the truth of God's word. And so Miriam, who's Moses and Aaron's sister, she's called a prophetess here in verse twenty. Literally, she's a teller of the truth. You know, when we think of prophets or the female version of prophetess, we often think of foretelling, right? Of foretelling events that uh, may happen in the future. There are unique examples of those type of prophets in the scriptures, but most often when a prophet is talking or the gift of prophecy, it is just simply telling the truth of the scriptures. It's telling the truth about God and what he is and that's what Miriam is doing. She's just reminding them in verse 19 of what God has done and so she gathers the ladies and she starts them singing. And she gets them singing the the hook of the song. That first line, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Did you notice that? It's the first line in the song. It's the part of the song that some call the earworm. You know that catchy uh, part of each song that just kind of sticks with you throughout the day or throughout the week. As we were singing, this is amazing grace. You know, it's like, worthy is the lamb who is, and that just will catch in your mind and in your heart, and you just keep singing that back. And so here Miriam is gathering them to sing this song, the, those lines, those lyrics that just linger. You know, how often does that happen uh, on a Sunday and into your week? You hear a song on a Sunday morning, it's one that you needed to hear, and it's that catchy line. I love it when my wife or my kids have one of those songs or one of those lines and they're just humming it around the house on Sunday afternoons or throughout the week. And typically as one of them is singing it, then another one chimes in as well. I love it. Does that happen in your house? But see, when we are worshiped, worship through singing steadies our heart. It focuses our mind, which is something that we need continuously. We need it regularly and so even though they stopped here in these opening verses to sing this great glorious song of praise to the Lord, it didn't stop there. Miriam, knowing that her own heart needed it, she needed to sing regularly and to be reminded of how glorious the Lord was. She gathers these ladies because she knows not only does she need it, but others need it as well. Others need this singing. See, we need one another singing, don't we? We need the voices of God's people, and and, and this is a theme throughout Scripture. Paul brings it up both in Ephesians and in Colossians, how we are told to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything in God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the application of that, that song isn't just to necessarily go right up to somebody and start singing in their face. Although there may be times in a deep and dark moment, maybe at times in, in great celebration where you just break out in songs of praise and gratitude, even if it's just a simple lyric to praise the Lord. But others need it. Others need our singing. There are days when life is heavy and we just simply need the sounds of the saints singing to give us strength and joy. And you never know how God will put somebody in your life who may need your voice. You never know who you might be sitting next to on a Sunday who just does not have the voice to sing on that day and how he may be using your singing for both his glory and that person's benefit. This isn't a reason to be self-conscious in singing because I know some of you are like, I have a bad voice. There ain't no way God's using me like that. But it's not a reason to be self-conscious. It's a reason to actually be God-conscious. God conscious of what he is doing around us. Yes, our worship is first and primarily vertical. We say that every week, don't we? We say every week that our worship is vertical, that we sing to God. But God in his perfect wisdom has also orchestrated our worship. He's designed it to be horizontal as well. And so our continuous singing is a tool for discipleship. A tool of investing in another person for their spiritual good. As you sing out to the Lord, but it is also a tool for evangelism. As we find ourselves continuously singing throughout the week, and and these songs that we're humming, these songs that we're listening to on the radio, as believers say and ask, What's that? Unbelievers rather ask, What's that song about? Why do you have joy? What What are you singing about? And then you have a great opportunity to say, the Lord has triumphed gloriously in my life. And as you proclaim the good news, as you are living a life of worship, then watch and see how the Lord will work in them. See, church, we sing to the Lord. We sing to him continuously. We are a worshiping church because God is an active God. Because his work has not stopped. So we are unashamed in our adoration of jesus christ because he's delivered us from our sin we we sing out to him our our groans of fear become songs of praise when the spirit brings the truth to our minds and thus the work of god sparks our worship of god which is exactly what we're going to continue to do now and as i said uh, just a moment ago we're going to close and sing a couple songs as you've seen the, the Lord work, as you're thinking even this morning, yes, God, you are at work in my life. Thank you for just even the chance, Lord, to pause and to ponder these things and to see that you are indeed working. What could I do now but to sing out to you, to tell you that you are the king of kings of my life, to, 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 to declare that you are my God. And so, church, are you ready to sing out again to the Lord? I pray that you are because I'm going to pray and our worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing again. So join me now as we pray to prepare our hearts. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are uh, realizing that we're not that unlike the Israelites, that uh, you uh, were gloriously at work in their life and you are continuing to work in us now. And so we want to sing to you. We want to worship you. We want to not let our praise go unheard. We don't want to leave here without expressing fully our gratitude to you for delivering us. So, God, you are great. You are glorious. You are at work and active in our life and in our church and in this world. Help us to see it even now, even this week, that we would be worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, go ahead and uh, let's stand.